people who endorsed more positive stereotypes about aging or self-perceptions of aging enjoyed better functional health in their older age and lived longer by like seven and a half years. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast. Hello there, welcome to the show. My name's Ash Denif. Today, we've got a fascinating interview with Dr. Natasha Ginevan from the University of New South Wales. Natasha is a research fellow in the School of Psychology at UNSW, and her work focuses on cultural attitudes to aging, stereotypes, and of course, self-perceptions of aging. And our conversation really focused on how our own self-perceptions can have long-term health effects for us and how things like media portrayal, cultural values, and intergenerational environments can reduce or exacerbate these effects. We also briefly spoke about an exciting virtual reality-based project Natasha was part of that harnessed the immersive nature of technology to deliver an emotionally affecting experience on the subject of dementia. Now, as always, if you're enjoying these episodes, we'd love it if you could share one with a friend. That really helps us find new audiences. But for now, I hope you enjoy the conversation with Dr. Natasha Ginevan. Hey, Natasha, thanks so much for joining us on the program. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's lovely to have you. And you've got such a wide range of interests and work and fields that you're operating in. Maybe can you give us a little bit of an overview of the different things that you've got your hands in there? Yes. So... At the moment, I'm researching um, attitudes to ageing, ageism, and sort of expectations of ageing and how this kind of impacts our psychological health and our physical health. Also, just looking at how we can shift attitudes a bit more from negative attitudes around ageing. Awesome. But you, you've also got a broad literature of, of research you've worked on over the years, right? And some things including ageing in prison, some projects using empathy, Am I missing anything here? What other what other gaps can we fill in? A lot of people, when they do postgraduate degrees or PhDs, they tend to um, come out of that and pick up other projects. And quite often, you might do part time work. And so I was across different projects, but in the aging space. So one of them was researching aging in the prisoner population, and another one I had the pleasure of working with artists and psychologists to research and interview women living with dementia and we ended up sort of putting together an artwork about someone living with dementia and we used that to in a study to see if we could shift people's uh, attitudes and empathy towards individuals who are living with dementia. Mm, Awesome well if we have time today maybe we can touch on those a little bit but I'm wondering before you got into your work in the aging space was there a special sort of did you have a special relationship with an older adult or was there something that brought you to the space that defined your interest in it? Yeah, I, I think it's a number of things coming together. I My background initially, my first, I suppose, career, if you like, was actually in design. I was a fashion designer. And then just, you know, in my 30s, I wanted to study. A lot of people, you know, changed careers and I was interested in psychology and I was drawn to the very first sort of topic I looked at was 
implicit attitudes to aging and how we sort of absorb all of these cultural messages around aging. And I kind of come from two different cultures. I come from obviously Australian culture, but I also have a Filipino background on my mother's side, Mm -hmm. which is very kind of, you know, it's got that collectivist intergenerational mix that perhaps isn't as prevalent in, in our Western individualist culture. And so, you know, the first assignment I did really struck me about the degree to which we in Western culture are influenced by attitudes to ageing and in particular, you know, negative attitudes. And I sort of drew on, you know, my other side of my culture to say like, wow, that's really interesting. I wonder if it makes a difference if you have more people of different generations in your life and whether that really impacts your own view of yourself and your as you age and, you know, so that led me down a whole long rabbit hole of (laughs) of studies and you know research and I haven't really stopped I continue to dig into that and find out how culture and societal views impacts our own personal experience and our own subjective aging Mm, so so how do they I mean what are the effects that this has on the person one of the things I discuss in my research but I talk about generally is that in kind of Western thought, we have this tendency to be quite binary about things and we sort Mm. of see that there's either young or there's old people and we kind of view ageing as this part of ourselves where we kind of live our life and then we bump into this thing called ageing, whereas the reality is, you know, we're born and we begin this ageing journey biologically and everything else across the life course. And because of a binary view of things, we tend to um, attribute sort of all the great things and things about being active and competent and all these things to the young categorization. And then we, we, we sort of tend to view the older part of our lives as, as not those things, but we tend to overstate it and we stereotype ourselves and other people for a reason. It's because we've kind of evolved to be able to have these sort of mental shortcuts, you know, to sort of navigate our social environment. And in some ways, that's a strength that we can use tools like that. But then it becomes a weakness when we sort of believe, we start to believe these stereotypes. And it's worse, what happens is that we internalise and we start to believe that about ourselves, particularly as it becomes self-relevant when we get older and we start Mm. to transition into later life. Unfortunately, our previous negative views of ageing psychologically impact us as we get older and so there's a lot Mm. of studies around that well what are some of the actual impacts that can be observed in later life yeah so because there's been like quite a few people studying this since the late 90s and we've now got like up to 25 years of research that can show both from short-term experimental studies that show if people are primed with um, negative age stereotypes they perform worse on memory tests and things than those who don't receive the negative primes. Wow. And then so that's in the short term experimentally doing these little manipulations to see how just how damaging stereotypes can be in the moment. But across time as well, there's been like longitudinal studies done that show people who endorsed more positive stereotypes about ageing or self-perceptions of ageing actually across 20 five years following these people with all sort these people with all sorts of health markers and physical and mental and psychological and cognitive showed the ones that had better or more positive self-perceptions of aging 
before enjoyed better functional health in their older age and lived longer by like seven and a half years. So there's actually like mm. lots of different studies really starting to flesh out now some of the ways that social attitudes actually can be very detrimental to us. And, you know, that goes the same for other things to do with gender and race and, you know, we're social creatures. So, of course, we're going to be impacted by the attitudes that we live in or the surrounding attitudes. Mm. Okay, well, a couple of things off that. So, when we're talking about in that first study priming with a negative view, is that to say like, you know, some sort of negative idea about that person's capabilities put into their head before they do a memory test? Yep. So, some of the work around these implicit attitudes or implicit age stereotypes, if you like. So, they've done quite a few experimental studies, but initially, really what it is, it's pointing to this phenomenon known as stereotype threat or age-based stereotype threat. So, if you feel like you you have the anxiety of being reduced to a stereotype and that sort of anxiety sort of hijacks a little bit, you know, your mm. memory in that moment, you know, you're a little bit befuddled by just the anxiety of feeling. So, of course, you're not going to perform well on anything, you know, whether it's a memory test or, you know, they've even got studies that show driving simulators that people who fed sort of these negative age primes, it could be just sort of like words that describe older people as, you know, these stereotypes of like decrepit and senile and all this sort of stuff for actively engaged older people to feel like they're being reduced to these negative age stereotypes that can actually impact their confidence in driving before and after mm. the test. So it's been really replicated and shown across different testing situations that it's actually a phenomenon that can be re measurable and repeated. Mm. And I think what sounds interesting about that as well is that you're not necessarily talking about the beliefs of the person who's receiving the prime, but just that they're receiving something saying, let's see how you go for an old person, something like that could even have an effect, even if they know they're very confident in themselves and their ability. Yeah, that's partially the case. Though negative self-perceptions of ageing or I should say positive self-perceptions of ageing would actually buffer a little bit against it. So so it is tied a little bit to beliefs. Okay. Leaping back to what we're talking about, the studies showing, you know, longer lifespan and, and general functional health is better when there is an improved perception of your own ageing process. Is this a case that, you know, the, the thoughts are changing the way that the body is developing and, and, and growing? Or is it that our thoughts change our actions, which then have consequences? So that's a really good question. And I think that's where the different sort of research projects and uh, whether they're experimental or longitudinal and unpacking different data sets to really get at the mechanism of why something like subjective age really can impact our health. And there's no sort of like one cause that we could point to, mm. otherwise it would be super easy, right? <laughs> but I think it's the case that subjective age, as in like how old do I feel, and many people report just feeling younger. So people in their 30s and 40s and 50s, they all quite often will report feeling younger. But studies have shown that people who do feel subjectively younger in age do tend to have healthier sort of ageing, if you like, that's been shown physically, cognitively. And there's probably potentially a level of like self-efficacy and agency involved in that whole mindset. But it, to be clear, it's not just about 
oh, I'm just going to tell myself to have positive self-perceptions of aging and then I'll be fine. <laughs> you know, it needs to be like overcome sort of these, you know, negative cultural stereotypes. Sure. And you can do that by just remaining actively engaged in life and things like that. But it needs to be met at the structural level as well. We need to, as mm. a society, acknowledge that, yeah, look, we're waking up to ourselves. We realise, you know, for a long time we've been using very ageist language. We're not, we don't have, like, healthy representation of older people in the media. That needs to shift, you know, attitudes to ageing have not kept pace with our biological longevity. We're living till like, our 80s and 90s now. You know, there's a lag in our cultural attitudes and, you know, hopefully we can start to really unpack that conversation and really see from the research that we need to because we're living longer so we we may as well support that with healthier attitudes yeah absolutely well something you mentioned right back at the start of the interview that might change the way that these self-perceptions are impacting people or even the perceptions people might have themselves is the culture in which we grow up and you mentioned in filipino culture used this word collectivist can you describe what does that mean, collectivist, and how might that change the impacts that ageing has on us? You know, the research I sort of looked at was collectivist um, cultures tend to have a much higher degree of intergenerational connection, whether it's in, like, living or in their relationships. It's sort of just organised that way. And, you know, collectivist cultures are often Asian um our own First Nations Indigenous Australians are collectivists in that there's a high regard for elder wisdom and mm-hmm. uh, transmission of like social norms and things like that. So that you know, I grew up with that sort of influence from my Filipino side of the family. Also, I think some European cultures have that too. And so, I think by virtue of being with and spending day to day time intergenerationally. You know, you have a sense of you, you don't know what it's like to be at that age group, but there are some aspects that you get to know a bit, you know, more when you have that around you from day to day than hmm. sort of Anglo individualistic, you know, the US, the UK, Canada, Australia. And it's just it's a different sort of social way of being. It's neither good nor bad. It's just that's the, the byproduct of, of living in more intergenerational kind of relationships it's a, and then perhaps it's also the case that in my own heritage when it is this sort of collectivist socially cohesive type of you know the group harmony becomes very important what happens then is you tend to put the group not necessarily ahead of your needs but around about the same whereas individualist cultures we sort of value the individual identity the independence and all that kind of stuff and you know there's a place for that too it's neither good nor bad but the the byproduct of that from an aging perspective is that you start to form perhaps you start to form less negative sense of what it is to be older because you know my older aunties my grandmother all that sort of stuff we still have very close connection and we hold them in very high regard and, and so in your own mind you think well as I get older that's that's how it's going to be you know mm. but maybe but I you know I've also done focus groups with older Australians and older Filipinos and younger Australians and younger Filipinos to try and examine these attitudes. And, you know, some of the the younger Australians that, you know, were between, say, 18 and 30, we talked about transitioning through life and, you know, what did they think about older people and all that sort of stuff. And I also asked, you know, 
do you sort of spend time with older people or what are your attitudes? And they said, well, not really. I guess I have a grandparent, but mostly I just exist in my generational bubble most of the time. And so there are, you know, you can see from the, the data, but also from the literature that there's just very distinct and different ways of being in the world. And then it has a, a, an effect on you. And in the case of aging, it's it's this, I think, one of the one of the impacts. Not to say that older people in collectivist cultures can't be negatively viewed. There is certainly that as well. And the World Health Organization, you know, has a report that, you know, ageist views are sort of on the rise and it, it, it can occur. It's just that one of the byproducts of being in a in a culture where there's many generations living and working and being together, then you have less fear about the aging process, I think. Hmm. Well, it makes me wonder because I my family's Dutch heritage and my grandparents they moved over here in the fifties, but that meant that my dad and my uncle and my auntie didn't really get to grow up with their grandparents, and it makes me think about the story. You know, Australian society for the last hundred years has been very much a migrant society, right? And that lots of new waves of families are coming in. Do you think that there's, and this might be complete theory at the moment, but do you think there's a connection here between societies like Canada, US, UK and Australia, which are migrant societies in some respect, and a disconnection between the older generations, perhaps as they're left behind in a former country? That's a really good question. And it's, you know, that probably is an influence. You know, they're all sort of quite young countries, although the UK has that Anglo-individualist, mm. you know, kind of culture and then, you know, not as young as sort of Canada, America. And and the UK, from studies that I've read, are sort of ranked quite high on the ageist kind of, you know, <laughs> <laughs> scale, unfortunately. But, you know, so, yeah. It's interesting. It might be a factor, but not a significant one. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it would be definitely a factor, but I, I don't know. I, I can't tell. That's the difficult thing when we're talking about the culture and its influence because it's not something that can be measured. And so the research I've done has been somewhat like measured in terms of surveys and other ways it's in focus groups, discussions, and then looking mm. at like lots of other people's research as well. Hey, did you know we launched a new show this season? Hello, I'm here with Daniela Greenwood. And I'm here with Maury Voicey-Barlin. That's right, Daniela and Maury are back and they're joining us every Friday for their new show, Who Cares? Where they'll be taking a quizzical look at some of Age Care's challenges and exploring what they mean for all of us working in the industry. I'm really stumped by how what the resolution is here because I think there's a lot to dig into. You would have been better working at McDonald's, Mari, because I they've got a good set. I could have been somebody, Daniela. <laughs> I could have been somebody. You are a somebody, Mari. You and the more I learn about you, you're an amazing oh, somebody. Oh, thank you. I think the same. It's a double dose of podcast fun each week, and you can find it right here in the Ace Feed every Friday. You're going to be the new Minister of Ageing if it's the last thing I do. So all this kind of leads into the question of, well, this idea of stereotype embodiment, right? Yeah. So stereotype embodiment theory was theory that Professor Becca Levy at Yale um, wrote about, and she describes it as having sort of three distinct components, but they're all interrelated. And the first one is like just sort of age discrimination, you know, which is just sort of like detrimental treatment of older people that we we all have sort of heard or witnessed in some way. Then there's the negative age stereotypes, which 
like as I mentioned, they've, they've sort of arisen because of the way that we sometimes organise information in a very quick and dirty way. But then the, the trouble with that is that we believe them. And mm. that's why we're sort of unpacking and just this distinction between belief and and then the third real distinct component is, is negative self-perceptions of ageing where those beliefs impact your own sense of self as you mm. age. So there's sort of these three aspects of stereotype embodiment and it's generally we've internalised the surrounding culture and that is conveyed to us in very powerful ways like the media and can occupy sort of multiple pathways and impact us in, in ways that is sort of harboured below the level of conscious awareness and can only really start to bubble to the surface when we start to transition into the later stages of life, right? So that sort of brings me back to that proverb of saying about if you want to age well, you've got to start when you're young, including healthier attitudes. And when I say healthier attitudes, I don't just mean sort of like false positivity and we should just say that all older people are fantastic and everything. Um, what I'm saying is that we overstate the negative aspects of ageing, so many of the age stereotypes that aren't even true. Memory doesn't actually decline like in the way that we stereotype people to be like forgetful or senior moments and all this kind of stuff that we start to use as a, a sort of a defence mechanism or a bit of humour and self-deprecation and all that sort of stuff. And so, yeah. I guess I'm wondering why would it be important for people who are delivering care to older adults to know about stereotype embodiment? Well, why it's important is both for people delivering care but also, you know, all of us to, to recognise that for a long time we've ingested less accurate information. That's mm. then we believe ourselves, about ourselves and about others and why that's important is, you know, I was just reading back through the Royal Commission into Aged Care and just some of the submissions by people who have received aged care and people who, if they're a little bit physically frail, because that happens, you know, that can happen when we get older and particularly in our sort of like 80s and so on. But if they're physically frail, then sometimes people treat them like they're cognitively frail and then they start talking about you when you're in the room to someone else about your personal details in front of everyone else like you don't understand what's going on. Like mm. not saying that, that everybody does that, but that's the kind of behaviours at its extreme that it can lead to if we just don't have a check on the way that we assume. Because, you know, ageism can be subtle and it can be explicit and very out there but like the subtle forms of ageism are just these assumptions like mm. oh well she seems to not cope physically or he he's not coping physically totally probably has dementia as well or something like that and that's just not accurate hmm. well i guess i wonder about this stuff if these ideas of of age and, and ability if they will diminish as sort of society we live in and the way that we work changes, people have value regardless of any sort of economic mm. contribution they can make to society. But, you know, as we're seeing things move online and things like VR and the metaverse and, mm. and how this can change the way that we live and interact with each other, then you can see that there'll be more opportunities for interfacing between generations. There'll be less barriers based on somebody's physical ability or constraints and, and less of importance placed on these ideas of what a certain number on your birth certificate means. 
Yes, no, that's that's a good point. And also I, I realise also the point is that one of the reasons why um, we're ageist is because of that economic argument that, you know, that old people are supposedly a burden to society and all this sort of stuff. Mm. But, but actually there's just, you know, there hasn't been given worthwhile opportunities to, you know, transform uh, some of their knowledge because we think, well, if they can't, if they're not able to make it into work, then clearly they can't contribute but that's just wrong now i mean you know we could both sit in vr and be sitting in the same office space i've seen the metaverse or aspects of it i've read about Mm. it you can sort of have a whiteboard and talk about stuff in the same room but you can be you know you can be in melbourne and i can be in, in sydney so you know so i think there's a great book the new long life by andrew j scott who's an economist and uh, Linda Gratton, a psychologist, the co-authored two books. I think it was The Hundred Year Life and then The New Long Life. But it really makes the argument that we need to really sort of move our attention about ageing and longevity from the three-stage learn, earn and retire life to the multi-stage you know, life. And because people really in their 50s and 60s are really hitting their stride in terms of their expertise And they don't have the cognitive decline that we overstate and stereotype them to at all. You know, there are people, sure, that have been diagnosed with, you know, MCI and dementia. and But even then, you know, people can be very meaningful and contribute with MCI or or dementia. So, you know, we we need to try and meet people where they're at. Yeah, absolutely. It's... um... You know, we're talking about two different ends of the spectrum here. And at one end, you use that phrase that evokes such imagery, the I don't want to be a burden, that always makes me think of the Gene Wilder, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie. Oh, right, <laughs> The yeah. weirdest portrayal of older adults where all of Charlie's grandparents are living in the same place, oh. sleeping in the same bed, <laughs> just very decrepit older adults. I remember here. that. I remember that. And that's what I'm saying, like, you know, kids kids get fed that staple diet of yeah. oldest age stereotypes, right? Well, you mentioned it before, and and I would be remiss in my duties if I didn't ask you to talk a little bit about the course of empathy and your work in in VR. I know you've done some work combining research into some practical outputs, and and maybe you can describe what that project was. Sure. So, I was very fortunate to have done sort of part of my postdoctoral work with Professor Jill Bennett at the School of Art and Design at UNSW, and um, Professor Bennett's a, a laureate fellow and she does a lot of things around mental health and a few years ago she um, had one of the events at the School of Art and Design, the Big Anxiety Festival and in that we did have a little like a stream program around ageing and leading up to that myself and some of my colleagues put together, it's a work called The Visit and I was able to interview several women living with dementia and they're very you know kindly collaborated with us on this and just told us aspects of their day-to-day life and what it was like living with dementia and some of the, the issues that can arise you know cognitively for them and how they how they managed that and how resilient sort of they were with that and with that we're able to combine that with our VR specialist um, his name's Volker Kugelmeister and he he does the VR work and we created a character sort of amalgam of all these interviews and it was quite sort of like verbatim like we took snippets that sounded like it would fit together and we created a character who was sort of embodying 
living with dementia as had been expressed mm. by, by these women. And then there was an aspect from the reported part of the interviews where one of the, the women talked about how sometimes she imagines that her shed disappears, <laughs> but she knows that it's potentially a hallucination that can happen mm-hmm. when you have dementia. And she said, like, she's got a 30-second rule where she'll count to 30 and she'll look again. And if it's still gone, then she worries. But if it's back, mm-hmm. then she realises, oh, it's just something that's going on for me at the moment. You know, we created a, a character called Viv and she was sitting in her, her kitchen and we had it as an art installation in the art gallery where you could sit down and put on headphones and she would be sort of talking to you about things. And we also had it delivered as a VR modality. And we sort of did a little pop-up empathy clinic in our UNSW library. And people, you know, students were coming through and they sort of saw us there and put the VR on where they sat for like 15 minutes with the VR headset on listening to Viv talking about her experiences. And so before they actually put on the headset, we actually asked them to do a survey that measured their state empathy level. And sort of it also gauged like if emotional distance, it was sort of like these validated scales. And they did the VR experience and then they did the survey again. And so we were able to sort of reliably show that people's level of empathy, state empathy had been improved or become higher mm. after sitting with Viv and their sense of emotional distance had reduced. So these are all quite like positive signs that, you know, we can... We can cultivate empathy and it's a good way to sort of deliver things in an interesting way through VR and you're completely immersed. So it gives mm. you that opportunity to be really just present with, in this case, an, an avatar. But she sort of seemed to be quite convincing. So that was a really great thing to be to be a part of. I really enjoyed doing that. It was went sort of beyond what I was doing in my PhD. It was very interesting work, yeah. Mm. You know, it's it's nice to hear how technology, whether it's VR or even just having like the installation in, in the galleries, able to have such an emotional effect on people and to kind of change their perceptions. Well, Natasha, this has been great. We've, we've covered so many little different bits and pieces of your work. There's still so much to unpack. We'll have to have you back at some point to talk about dementia and aging in general amongst the, the prison population, because I'm sure that that is a very uh, meaty topic, to say the least. Yes. For people who've been listening and want to find out more, where are some links that you can direct them to? Well, I can be found at the UNSW School of Psychology. If you just sort of look up Natasha Ginevan, I'm there, and you'll see the sort of research projects I'm engaged in. So happy to correspond if anyone's got any questions. Awesome. Well, they can find out more UNSW. Natasha, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It's been great. Thanks so much. Well, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Don't forget that each Friday, we've got a fresh episode of our new show, Who Cares?, in which Daniela and Maury take another look at the ideas we've been discussing in today's episode and how they might affect all of us working in the aged care industry. It's fun, thought-provoking, and just a little bit silly. And the good news is it's all right here in the podcast feed. So you don't have to click anywhere else. But if you want to make sure you don't miss out, hit the subscribe button and you'll find out exactly when that episode is available. Anyway, we'll see you next week.